So this is the first Sunday of Advent. Christmas begins now. Our celebration of Christmas begins. And of course, Christmas is the great announcement that the church makes to the world every year that God loves the world. Right? This is our John 3.16 moment that we announced to everybody that God so loved the world that He came. Right? That God gave His one and only Son. And that gift begins here at Christmas, at Advent. God so loves the world. It is such good news. But what we're going to do now today and over the next four Sundays is wrestle a little bit more with that idea that God so loves the world. We're going to wrestle with that and dig into that a little bit more. And to begin with today, we're going to start with the question, do you have a good idea of who you are to God? Do you have a good understanding of the kind of relationship that God has with you? Not with people, or the world, but with you. That's the question that we're going to be looking at this morning. And and if you've got your Bibles, open up to Psalm 139. And we're going to work through the first couple verses here, verses 1 to 6, and then kind of do some synthesis and talk about what's the point of all this for us and for our lives today, implications of it. But what we see here in this psalm is a developing understanding of the kind of attention and interest that God has in each one of us. It's a developing understanding. This is what we're trying to do here. So let's just begin in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. How do you feel about being searched? Right? Uh, how many people would be in this gym right now if uh, some Sunday we positioned a couple guys out at the doors and just said, hey, we're so thankful you're here. Praise God. What a blessing. We're just going to do a quick search of your person and your belongings and then come on in and worship together with us in the name of the Lord. Right? How many, everybody would be like, no, that's okay. I'm going to find a church where I'm not searched. Right? How many of you love examinations? Your annual physical, right? Or you're in the dentist chair with your mouth plastered wide open, having somebody, some stranger probe, right? The crevices of your mouth. We don't like this, right? This is not a comfortable thing for us. It, well, it really depends really on who's doing it and why are they doing it. Right? Who's doing it and why are they doing it? So what is this here? You have searched me and known me. It really depends who's doing it. So is it a loving friend who's doing it? A spouse who's, uh, you know, they're getting to know me. They, they're, they're, my, they're my deep friend. They're trying to help me and serve me. Is it a boss who's examining me for a pay raise or for being let go or something like this? Or is it an opponent, an enemy of mine who's, who's searching me and examining me in order to defeat me in something or make me look dumb or prove that I'm wrong? Which raises the question, which of these is the Lord more like for you? You know, when you read, oh Lord, you have searched me and know me, what happened in your heart? Did you go, oh, brace for it, brace for impact, here he comes, he's going to get you. Was it, oh boy, here, I think I'm ready. See, I did all my devotions this week. I prayed for all these different countries. All right, God, I think I'm ready for the upgrade. I'm ready for a pay raise. Ready for a better parking spot. Or did you feel like, yes, Lord, I'm so thankful that you have searched me. I'm so thankful that you are in my life studying my every move and everything about me. Which is the Lord more like for us? 
It says, you've searched me and known me. Literally, it just says, you've searched me and you know. Ooh, that sounds a little scary, doesn't it? You've searched me, God has searched you, and he knows. Ah. But wait a second, right? So God knows everything. So what is he searching for? And I think this points us in the direction of what the psalm is trying to do. Right, all of these reflections in these first couple of verses, they end up where? They end up in verse 6, which is such, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. These are all thoughts that are developing a sense of, of worship and appreciation for, for God's attention on us. So when he says, uh, you have searched me and know me, he's using the metaphor of friendship. A metaphor from friendship. Right, to, to, be, to be searched out and to be truly known as a result. You know, is there somebody in your life where you're like, you know what, you just get me. You really get me. They really get you. You can kind of tell sometimes uh, with the Christmas presents people get you, right? Christmas presents are kind of in three categories. There's like good Christmas presents that are like, they're good. They're, they're just objectively good, right? So chocolate, right? Is this an objective good? Get people chocolate they will be appreciative for, right? Cozy things, chocolates, coffees, these sorts of things. They're just, they're good. Gift cards to quality stores. And then there's presents that are like, have we met? <laughs> right? right? You get a present, you're just like, Who's this? what's this for me? What's this? Oh, okay, thank you. Thank you. Right, like this, they don't get me, they don't know me. And then there's, then there's presents you get where you're just like, are we soulmates? Are we separated at birth? Are we, what kind of attachment here? What, they, they've searched you and they know you. They get you. And they know what kind of thing to get for you. And this is the image that's being used here to portray God. He searched you and he gets you. And he, he knows what to get you. Right? He's going he's gonna to get you the best Christmas present that you'll ever get. You might look at it and think, well, do you know me? But it's going to end up being exactly the thing that fits just right and be perfect for what you're going to go into. Oh, Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. When my kids were little, I had these moments of being out, you know, Barnes and Noble or, or at a playground or something. They'd be sitting down, reading a book, and I'd look away, and I'd look back, and they're gone. They just evaporate, right? And they're, typically, they're standing right here, trying to, of course, ask me for something. But in that moment, I'm just, <gasps> I don't see when they sit down. I don't see when they rise up. So as much as I love my kids and I care about it and I'm, I'm trying to be extremely vigilant, I cannot care for them the way that God cares for every single one of us. He knows when we sit down with a book at the table to play with trains and he knows when we get up because we see something else and we run after it. He, he's that attentive to us. Only God is able to truly keep us because only he has that kind of attention. I can't pay that kind of attention to my kids. God pays that kind of attention to each one of us. And you discern my thoughts from afar. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, and you discern my thoughts from afar. God knows me and he understands me. Right? He, he, he knows who... This is another level of the kind of intimacy. Right? We are developing an understanding. We're trying to improve our idea of who we are to God. 
God discerns our thoughts, my thoughts. He knows who I am. How does he do that? Because again, this isn't just, well, because he's God, duh. No, this is speaking to the kind of thoughtful attention, the developing understanding. Like, do you have somebody in your life who, I know what you're thinking, and they're usually right? How did they get in that position? They've, they've searched you, they know you, it's developed. We're talking about a very close understanding. He says, you discern my thoughts even from afar, which is the first hint, although we're going to find more of this in the psalm. The first hint that maybe we could be distant from God. But even then, does it matter? You discern my thoughts from afar. It doesn't matter. God is still that in sync with us. We might feel like God's far, but God is still in tune with us. How do you feel? Every one of these, these verses, at least for me, gives me the heebie-jeebies on initial reading, doesn't it? And then it's supposed to lead me to a place of worship, so I think I'm just misunderstanding these. But, but if, if we could discern all of your thoughts, right, how many friends would I have if everybody could discern all my thoughts? Right? Probably not a ton of friends. And yet when you read this verse, there's no hint of judgment. There's no hint of rejection. You discern my thoughts from afar and, oh my goodness, nothing like that. There's zero, no judgment here. Isn't that remarkable? God discerns your thoughts from afar. What does God know He knows all things. And what does God do with what he knows? He carefully cares for me. That's all that this is saying. He knows even your thoughts. And with that information, he carefully cares for you. Why would he do this? Do we we already need to revise our idea of God? If God would do this sort of thing for us, if if God would have this kind of attention on us and this kind of interest in us, why would he do this? What kind of God is this? Verse 3, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. I think this is a, a hiking metaphor, a hiking camping metaphor, the idea that God knows my path. He knows the route I'm going to take. He knows my lying down. He knows where I'm going to camp out for the evening. And he is acquainted with all my ways. He's, he's familiar with all the vistas and the obstacles that I'm going to encounter. I've referenced this story because it was uh, such a, a meaningful time in my life, but I was in a, a leadership development program, and we, and we went on a surprise seven-day hike through the Wisconsin wilderness way up north. And our guides were really great. They're grad students. They'd done this a bunch of times. They always knew where we were going to end up. But part of the leadership thing was that we were all in charge of charting the route. We were all going to learn orienteering and leading people. And so our guides didn't know what we were going to encounter. We were, we were encountering uh, you know, new bodies of water that they'd never seen before and, and tree blowdown areas that were extremely difficult to get across. And we were kicking up nests of ground bees and getting stung. I mean, we were encountering all sorts of obstacles that they had no idea that we were going to face. But that's not God's relationship with us. God knows, he knows you. That's already been established in the first two verses. But he also knows your life. That's what this this hiking metaphor is from. 
It's, it's your life. He knows your, your path and where you're going to sleep tonight. And he's acquainted with all the things that you're going to encounter along the way. God knows you and he knows your life. And again, and I'm going to keep drawing attention to this, there's no hint of judgment in here. There's no hint of this. Like God knows you and he knows your life and he knows where you would have been if you'd only stuck to his, his will, right? If you'd only listened to your mother, if you'd only worked a little harder, he also knows where you should have been. There's none of that. There's none of that. I think another thing from this verse that's really precious is he's acquainted with all our ways, which means that uh, none of our surprises surprise God. Which you might say, well, yeah. But I think this is actually really good news. Have you ever been with a friend in in some sort of experience that maybe is uh, new to you but not new to them? Maybe something startling happens, something surprising happens, you're surprised, you look at them for a reaction, and they're fine. Or they're smiling, right? They know something you don't know about what's coming next. And you look at them, and immediately, how do you feel? You feel better. You feel like, okay, they're, they're not surprised. Even though I'm startled, I don't need to be worried. So knowing that God is acquainted with all my ways is actually a, a blessing, a gift. I don't have to be startled and surprised either. Although I think that for many of us, this also raises some concerns. God has been acquainted with all your ways. So I'm saying God knows. The corollary to that is, so wait, you knew? You knew? And we've all got things in our life that we go, wait, you knew that that was going to happen? You knew that was going to be the situation? So I think, let's pause for just a second on this. God knows you, and he knows your path, and he knows those things perfectly. How well do I know me? You know, I'm a pretty, I'm I'm 41 years old, and I I like to think I'm pretty self-aware, and I've done some work to try to get to know myself better, and I don't know myself very well. God knows me perfectly. And I look back on my life and I look back on the things I can, I can sort of see how some things led to other things. But there's a lot that I just think, why did that happen? God, why did you let that happen? Why did that go the way it went? I don't see it. I don't get it. God knows me perfectly. He knows my path completely. All I really know is the gap between what I have and where I am and what I, through desires put in me by a malevolent world, through where I think I should be. I should be holier than I am. I should be kinder than I am. I should be stronger, smarter than I am. I should be... I I know that gap, but God knows actually all the things that are necessary for me and in my life and where we're going together. There's some interesting resonances between Psalm 139 and the story of Job. And we're going to get to some of those cross connections in later weeks. But when we think about the story of Job, right? He is the archetype in Scripture of a guy who gets the short end of the stick. You feel like you got the short end of the stick in some things in life, right? Job beats you. <laughs> Job is, he's like a Job character, right? He's the archetype of getting the short of the stick from God. And yet, over the course of the story of the book of Job, we see that 
God is working, we, we learn that God is working things in us, in me, for my good, which I can't see because I don't know me that well. And He's doing things in my life, in my story, that are really hard for me, but they are actually going to be good for me, they're going to be good to serve other people, and they're going to be for God's glory, which ultimately is my heart anyways, but I can't see it right now. So we can learn from this verse, but we also need to really trust what this is saying. Verse 4, let's go on to verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it altogether. So we just talked about how you discern my thoughts from afar. Now we're into speech. You know what is going to be, what I'm going to say, which is, again, another layer of sort of intimate friendship. I know what you're thinking is different even than, hey, don't you say it. Right? That's like another, I know what you're going to say, what you tend to say in these situations. How do you get that kind of an understanding of a person? Again, it's, it's only somebody very close to you who has spent time with you and attentive time. Right? You can work with a guy for 20 years and be like, oh, I didn't know you were married. You know, we're not talking about that kind of a relationship. That's not the relationship God has with us. He has a very close relationship and he's very attentive to us. Which again, I don't know how I feel about this. Even before a word is on my tongue, oh Lord, you know it all together. I'm a little bit of a verbal processor, which means that I kind of discover what I think through saying things to people. And that doesn't always go great. There's a lot of times where I say things to people that later I feel like, God, you knew I was going to say that? And you didn't stop me? And yet, there's no hint here of judgment, no hint of rejection. No hint of frustration. It's simply saying this is the closeness of the kind of relationship, the kind of attention God has on each one of us, the kind of interest he has in us. No judgment. Now, verse 5 is sort of functions like a summary for this first section. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. It's almost a picture of a threefold presence that God is behind us. What's he doing behind us on our path? Well, he's cleaning up after us, right? I've begun to pray this for my life more and more. Oh, Lord, would you give me mercy? All the things that I did today that I'm sure I screwed up. Come behind me. Clean it up and give me mercy. And then God is also present in front of us. What's he doing there? He's clearing the way. He's making the way smooth for our feet or whatever it is that we need. Maybe he's making it rough so that we build angle strength. But he's doing something there to give us what we need. He's doing grace there. But then there's another presence that comes along, another way that he's present with us, which is he lays his hand upon us, which is God's presence meant to be felt. Right? He lays his hand upon you. He wants you to know that he's right there. So he's behind you, being merciful. He's ahead of you, being gracious. Now here he wants you to feel his presence. I am with you here. And the picture, right, is he lays his hand. God doesn't have a hand that he's laying on us, but, but it's a picture of the, the almost mystical power of touch. Right? Have you ever been, been feeling lonely, feeling down, being discouraged or confused, and somebody comes and they just lay a hand on your back, they put a hand on your shoulder to say, hey. Right? And just through that contact, it's like courage and peace and love comes into you, and you feel a little more like, I am a little more okay now, strangely, through this touch. And this is what God wants, what he's trying to convey here in this picture. 
God lays His hand upon us. He, he gives us courage and peace and love. He wants us to know that He is with us because He is with us. He is with us. He's with our story, our path. He's with us all the way. And so we come to verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. What knowledge is he talking about? This is us knowing about God's knowledge of us. Right? That's what this knowledge is. Our knowledge of God's knowledge of us. Such knowledge, knowing about how much God knows me, is too wonderful for me. Which is a really, you might think, well, that's kind of a typical Bible expression. This is actually the, only the second place in the Bible that this word wonderful is used. The only other spot is kind of a weird story in Judges, where the angel of the Lord, who we talked about recently, comes to Samson's parents, and, and, and he says all this crazy stuff to Samson's parents about what their kid's going to be and do and how he's going to rescue Israel. And, and they, can kind of, they, can, they can tell something's up with this guy, right? So they say, what's your name? People are always asking the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, what's your name? But they ask the Lord, what, they ask him, what's your name? And he says, why do you ask my name, seeing that it is wonderful? And the word wonderful there means it's, it's too full of God's incomprehensible glory, it's going to blow your mind. That's the same usage here in our passage. Such knowledge blows my mind. Okay, so the God, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent, eternal, no beginning, no end, who made all things... For from him and through him and for him are all things. All things are upheld by the word of his power. And he is searching and knowing you. And he knows when you sit down and when you rise up. He discerns your thoughts from afar. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. He knows your path and you're lying down. He's acquainted with all your ways. Such knowledge is mind-blowing. Such knowledge is mind-blowing. Such knowledge is, he says, too high, I cannot attain it. Which is, of course, a statement about this knowledge, about these facts, that they're really high, that they're glorious, but it's also a statement about you and me, that we're too short. We can't attain it. Which means that we can go all our lives, and, and you, can, you can be a preacher, a Bible teacher, a, a scholar of Scripture, you can write, you can preach, you can, you can think about these things, share them with friends, Listen to all the Christian music you want and you will never comprehend the kind of love that God has for you. You will never, ever exhaust this. Listen to the end of Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, My prayer in all this is that you would truly know the love of Christ which surpasses your ability to know it. To know what you cannot ever fully know. You know, sometimes you come to church or you open your Bible or you, you turn on the Christian radio or whatever, you open the book and you just think, I'm just so bored right now. And, and sir, you know, religion and talking and books can be kind of boring. But when we're feeling bored with God, we haven't begun. We haven't begun to understand truly what is the most moving powerful and satisfying collection of truths that there are to know. 
What he's saying here, he says this knowledge, verses 1 to 5, is too wonderful. That God himself is in these truths wrestling with you and me. Wrestling to get our attention to appreciate his attention of us. Wrestling to get us to know how he truly knows us and loves us and cares for us. And so, the point this morning point this morning is this. Do you have any idea who you are to God? I think we need a better idea. We need a better idea of who we are to God. You know, John 3.16, God so loved the world. And so we walk away with that and we can think, well, God loves, he loves everybody. Good, that's good, he does. I want you to know that he does love everybody. God loves the world. God loves all of us. He loves people. And you know what? You're a person too. And God loves you. I remember as a kid, you know, they would, the preachers would say, God so loved the world. You can put your name in there because you live in the world too, I guess. Like, it's not really personal. It's just sort of like, oh, I guess I'm a human. I guess God loves me. He loves humans. I'm a human. Good. Okay, I can, I can get in then. I want you to hear what Psalm 139 is saying. It's something very different. It's saying that God's love is personal. It's saying that God's love is intimate. That God loves you this way. In fact, Augustine was attributed as saying, God loves each one of us as if there was only one of us. He loves each one of us as if there was only one of us. And that's what makes this mind-blowing. That's why the psalmist says it's too wonderful. That's what makes this knowledge glorious and holy because it is so extraordinary. God loves you and you and you and me this way. Look with me at John chapter 10, if you've got your Bibles. I want you to see the same truth in a little bit of a different context and a different moment. In John chapter 10, verse 14, we were actually in John 10 last week, so some of this may sound familiar. In John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now pay attention to all of the ways, all of the knowledge language here. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So how Jesus knows you is the way he knows the Father and the way the Father knows him. He doesn't just know his people because they're white and fluffy and they're out there on the hills and I can kind of tell that's them because they move once in a while. That's not how he knows us. He knows us the way he knows the Father. He knows us the way the Father knows him. That is extremely... Like, Jesus doesn't just know God. He knows the Father. And the Father knows Him, and He knows us. That's what Psalm 139 is describing. That kind of intimate relationship. And that is what Psalm 139 is inviting us into today. To know ourselves to be so known and so loved. 
And again, I just want to highlight that all of this description in Psalm 139 is there present about God's attention on us with no hint of judgment and no hint of rejection. And I think that is another mind-blowing aspect of this psalm, of this knowledge. It is a mind-blowing aspect. I mean, think of all the people in your life who won't text you back. Who won't take your call. Who won't even wave or who will pretend they didn't see you when you're in the store with them. And some of these people were pretty close to you, right? And it's hard not to get a sense that, well, you know what? They got to know me and now they hate me. Like That, that kind of makes sense to me, right? I know me a little bit. I don't know that I would want to be my super great friend either. There is none of that here. Not even a little bit of that here. None of that. He's describing in Psalm 139, God's knowledge of you more intimate and personal than anyone has ever known you. And there's not even a hint of rejection or judgment. God knows you so well and he sticks with you so close. He knows you so well and he sticks with you so close. And there's not really an application in the psalm for us other than the effect of the psalm, of these verses, which is to transform us into worshipers. And so let me encourage you this morning not really to do anything with this, but to let it transform you. To let it Transform you. Let this knowledge of God's knowledge of you and his acceptance of you, his love for you, let that knowledge transform you. Let that glory transform you. And I say we need to let it transform us because you know what? We let rejection and judgment transform us as well. Right? Can you think of an experience where some, there's, there's judgment, there's rejection, and it transforms you? You shrink. You turn inward. You, you retreat from fellowship, from community, from intimacy, from, from friendship. You begin to craft a persona. This is the me that I am when I'm at church. This is the me that I am when I'm at work. This is the me that I am in these different places so that I can stay safe from this. We restrict our fellowship. We die is what we do. We grow into death and darkness. Rejection transforms us well how much more will knowledge and acceptance transform us especially when it is the kind that god the father knows the son with and the son knows the father with and psalm 139 describes a complete knowledge the knowledge born of love and attention and interest and a complete acceptance as well this is going to transform us as well we're going to become less insecure, less afraid, less living our life with the sense that we are alone. We're going to be less anxious, less self-involved, and we're going to be more open and courageous and free, more thoughtful of other people and more loving. You know, one of the most basic, probably the essential Christmas myth in the modern world is the Christmas carol. Right in in Charles Dickens' Christmas carol, the story of Scrooge is a story of how a person may be corrupted through insecurity and anxiety into something almost inhuman. 
and how in the space of a single night they can be transformed into something truly human simply by being brought back to remember love. To remember how they've been loved. And as we contemplate, why is Psalm 139 in in the Bible? Because God wants us to slow down and to contemplate, to, to be transformed by the knowledge of this love so that more and more we look like a person who knows and believes the love that God has for them. And more and more we look like a person who knows and believes the love that God has for them. You know who we're going to look like then? We're going to look like Jesus. We're going to look like Jesus. Because we are going to feel like Jesus felt. You know how Jesus felt? How he felt all the time? He knew the love the Father had for him. And he believed it. He knew that he was known. He was loved. He was completely secure. And he was always, God was always with him. Psalm 139 invites us to know how known we are. And it's something that you and I need to know. We need to know this. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19 says that we would come to know the love that Christ has for us and which surpasses knowledge. The next verse says, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. You need to know this or what? Or you're going to be empty like everybody else. But God wants to fill us up and fill us full so that we walk through our lives like Jesus does, like Jesus did, absolutely secure in the knowledge and love of his Father. So as Christmas begins, God wants you to know Jesus didn't come into the world to save people. He came into the world to save you. Did he really? Would he have come if he really knew you? He does know you. And he did come. It's all true. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to know and come to believe the love that you have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.